Well, let's pray. Let's ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Father, thank you for these testimonies of how you've worked through Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our lives, and you are so faithful to us. And Lord, just like Jay said, your word is living and active and powerful. Would you unleash the power of your word here this morning now as I preach? Uh, Lord, I just love to humble myself before you, Lord. There's nothing I can say or do that's going to bring about any lasting change unless you choose to work. It's all your work. So Lord, would you come and would you do your merciful, gracious work today? Help me and... uh, Work in all of our hearts, I ask now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are in week uh, two of a three-week series we're doing on elders and deacons. I just want to remind you, I shared last week a couple of reasons why we're doing this series, just so that we're all oriented in case you weren't here, or just to remind you if you were here. The first reason is, because it's been a long time since we've taught here at Mercy Hill about how Jesus wants his church to be structured. And... We long, Jerry and I long, the elders, we long that each of you could go to chapter and verse in your Bible to explain, here's why my church is structured the way that it is, and here's why it functions the way that it does. We want you all to really get this from the scriptures for yourself. That's part of our purpose here. Secondly, because we need to add more elders to our elder team. Okay, right now it's just Jerry Ship and me, and in a church of our size, optimal I think would be four, maybe even five Elders, And so we're praying that through teaching on eldership, the Lord would stir some of you men to consider eldership and then to start taking some steps to grow into those character traits, those uh, requirements, and, and those responsibilities. That's the second reason. Third, we want to put in place deacons. Okay, we've never done this before. We've become convinced, Jerry and I, that there's two main offices in the New Testament church. There's elders... And elders are men, a team of men who under Jesus are responsible to shepherd and love and protect and teach and guide and lead the church. Deacons, I'm going to be explaining more about this next week, are women and men who have official positions of serving in the church to help the elders move ahead with the the vision God's given us. So those are two offices. There's elders and there's deacons. We've never put deacons in place but we, we, want, we think we should. It's, we're convinced now, biblically, that there's two offices. And so we're hoping that through this series we will be able to recognize those who are already functioning as, elder, uh, as deacons in our midst and that we'll be able to see more deacons raised up. That's the third reason. Fourth reason, uh, Jerry and I have learned some new things about eldership in the last few months. We've been studying scriptures, reading lots of documents from like-minded churches and want to share some of these new thoughts with you. So those are the four reasons. And, and here's kind of the big picture. Uh, our passion, one way of describing our passion, is we long to see Christ-treasuring men, women, and children raised up here in this church and spread throughout the South Bay area. We long to see Christ-treasuring families built, established, where Jesus is there and the neighbors are seeing the gospel and, and the way that family functions. We long to see Christ treasuring home groups. We've talked about home groups this morning. Spread throughout this area, shining with the gospel as they love each other and as they share the gospel in their neighborhoods. And we're praying for Christ treasuring churches then to be planted out of all of this. Santa Teresa, North Valley, you know, Cupertino, Los Gatos, just the whole area. To see, to see Christ treasuring people, families, home groups, churches spread throughout this area. But what that's going to take is more leaders 
and more servants, more workers. And in the New Testament, leaders and servants are elders and deacons. And so we're praying that both of those will be stirred up and raised up through this series. So this morning, I want to finish explaining about elders, and then next week we're going to tackle deacons. And so let's turn to Titus chapter 1 this morning. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. Again, we want all of you to have a Bible in front of you. The Bible's words are the important words here this morning. Back here, good. Just be bold. Uh, Titus chapter 1 is on page 998 in the Bibles we're passing out right now. Titus chapter 1. I want to talk, start off talking some more about elder qualifications. And there's two different lists of elder qualifications that Paul gives. One is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we went over that last week. The other is in Titus chapter 1, which I want to go over this morning. So look at what Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. He says, This is why I left you, speaking to Titus, I left you in Crete. Crete is a big island in the Mediterranean Sea. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. So do you see again a plurality of elders in every church? We see it illustrated here again. Verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, notice how overseer is synonymous with elder right there, the way Paul does that from verse 5 and 7. An overseer, so he's still talking about elders here, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Can I notice, in verse 6, Paul talks about uh, the husband of one wife, elders being the husband of one wife, which means that a husband is passionately, exclusively, faithfully devoted to his one wife. Now here's the question. When Paul says husband of one wife, is he requiring that elders be married, or is he simply saying that if an elder is married, he needs to be passionately devoted to his Wife. Now, the wording in the Greek and in the English, you, as you can see, could go either way. Could go either way. It's just, so which way do you go? And what swayed me a number of years ago was hearing John Piper teach on this. And uh, he, he posed, this isn't a quote, but here's in, in general what he said. He said, think about the high calling that the New Testament puts upon single people in 1 Corinthians 7. And then ask yourself the question, could Paul have been an elder? Being single. Could Paul, who trained elders and raised up elders and installed elders and oversaw elders, could Paul, a single man, have been an elder? And his answer, and I just feel like, absolutely. Especially since, remember, 
this could go either way in the, in the Greek text here. It could either be that Paul is requiring that the elders be married, or that he's requiring that if they're married, then they need to be absolutely faithful to their wives. And we here at Mercy Hill Church, we believe that Paul is not requiring that every elder be married. He's requiring that if an elder is married, he's absolutely faithful to his wife. So my point is, single men, if you are being stirred about the possibility of eldership, let's talk. We believe that that's biblical. Okay, if you're if you're uh, you know qualified in other ways. Okay. Now the other point I wanted to bring up is in verse six, where Paul says that his his children are believers. Now that sounds like if an elder's children are not believers, that he's disqualified from being an elder. Is that what Paul is saying here? And this is something we've needed to really pray and ponder and study. Carefully. Now, let me just walk you through this, and then we maybe will open up for some questions so you can, can interact some more. First of all, um, the word believers in verse 6 is the Greek word faithful, okay? Which could, be, could mean one of two very different things, scholars say, this word. Faithful could mean that they're believers, that they have saving faith. That could be what Paul is saying, okay? Or that same word also has the meaning faithful as in the sense of obedient and submissive. So that is the elders managing his house well, even though the children aren't believers, they're obedient. They're not ruling the house, they're not going crazy, things are in order. So the Greek here could go either way. 50-50 call. And I emailed Justin Taylor, who's the editor of the ESV Study Bible, and I said, I said how come you guys went that way? You know, and, and I was fascinated. He sent me back an article that he'd written, and, and he argues that it is, I mean, maybe we'll delete this from the tape. I don't know. If, I, I don't think it's private or anything. But he says that he thinks that the word should be translated, not believers, but it should be translated obedient, submissive. And there's, there's the main reason he gives, and then the other guys that we're following in this, uh, John Piper argues the same way, Mark Driscoll, George Knight has a very powerful uh, commentary on the pastoral epistles. So if the Greek word could go either way equally, how do you decide which one to go with? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is the other list where we see the qualifications for elders. And let's look at what Paul says here about what children must be. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3. What does Paul say here? Does he say they need to be believers? What does he say? And it's very interesting. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. That's page 992 in the Bibles we just passed out. Look at what he says. Verse 4, he, the elder, must manage his own household well. So an elder is, is, in, is, in, is managing, he's leading, okay? With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now notice, Paul here says nothing about an elder's children needing to be believers. Do you see that? Okay? So there's just nothing about that here. What he says, though, something very important, is that an elder's children must be submissive, well-managed. He needs to be a, a wise, strong, loving father. Okay? That's what he's saying here. So what this means is, I mean, just, just sit back. If you were Timothy, here's the letter Paul wrote to you. Timothy, here's who elders should be. You could put an elder in place... 
do you track with me on this? You can put an elder in place whose children are under control, well-managed, but who are not believers. Right? Because nothing's said here about the elders' children being believers. Okay, so now let's go back. Titus chapter 1 has this Greek word that could either mean they're, they're believers or, not necessarily that they're believers, but that they're well-managed in obedience. Could go either way. It's ambiguous. 1 Timothy 1 says this one, well-managed in obedience. It says nothing about that one. So the way you work is you let the clear passage help you understand the less clear passage. Does that make sense? Now here's a quote. Well, So, so what this means is that an elder... And elders' children do not necessarily need to be believers. We pray that they are, okay, desperately, but that while they're under his roof, they are submissive and well-managed. Now, here's a quote from Alexander Strauch, who wrote a book, Biblical Eldership, which has been pretty significant in the circles that we run in. Uh, Here's what he says. The contrast, he's speaking of Titus chapter 1. It says, the contrast is not between believing and unbelieving children, but between obedient, respectful children and lawless, uncontrolled children. Since 1 Timothy 3.4 is the clearer passage, it should be allowed to help interpret the ambiguity of Titus 1.6. And he goes on to say, those who interpret this qualification in Titus 1 to mean that an elder must have believing Christian children place an impossible burden upon a father. Even the best Christian fathers cannot guarantee that their children will believe. Salvation is a supernatural act of God. Now, any questions about, about that? I know that I try to walk you through the flow here. Okay? We don't want to mess around with the text, okay? but the ESV has chosen to translate that word believers in Titus chapter 1. But I want to explain to you that that word could be translated believers, this side, could be translated believers, or the same word could mean that they're obedient. And I think there's reasons for going the latter way because of 1 Timothy 1. Okay, in Titus 1, it's the word, Greek word pistos, which could either be faith, uh, faithful as in believers or faithful as in obedient. And I forget what the Greek word is, in, in the, it, but it's, it's the word submissive, which is probably hupatasso. Anybody know? Any? You're checking? Thank you. Yes, the word, which, okay, I see what you're asking. The word in 1 Timothy 3 is not ambiguous. It does not have any possibility of meaning believers. That's, that's the question. Good question. Does that make sense? In other words, the word in 1 Timothy 3 is not ambiguous in the same way that the word in, first, in, in Titus chapter 1 is. Good, good question. Other questions? This is, so now, now here's, here's what I want you to do. We want you to study this and wrestle with this yourself. We don't want anybody to believe anything because of what the elders believe here. Okay? I mean, we want to point you towards the scripture and say, here's what we believe, but what's most important, Jesus will not ask you at that final day, well, did you believe what Pastor Steve said or not? It's not the question, okay? Did you believe what the Bible taught? Anyway, if you have more questions, I'd be happy to dialogue with you more about that. I know it's kind of a lot to, okay, it's just kind of this logical flow, and it's not, it's not simple, but I wanted to make it as clear as we could. So here's, here's where I want to land on this. If you're single, if you're a single man, otherwise qualified, you could consider eldership here. And if you are a man who 
is leading your household well, where the children aren't going crazy. I mean, there's a lot of fun there, but they're not going crazy. They're not all just like saluting all the time, right? But, but there's order, okay? They're, they're, <laughs> we all understand the struggles. But anyway, um, you can be an elder here, even if they're not believers. Okay, that's an important thing. We're going to pray that they're all believers, desperately. But uh, that's not a requirement for eldership. Okay, now, how are we going to raise up elders here at Mercy Hill? That is, what should you do if you're maybe sensing a stirring? If you're a man who you feel like you're qualified, um, in, in a humble way you feel like you're qualified, what, what should you do? And let me just walk you through a, a couple steps. First step would be to move towards being a home group leader here. And the reason we say that, a lot of churches who structure the way we do with major emphasis on home groups encourage this. And, and as Jerry and I have wrestled with this, we think it's wise. Shepherding is the, is the call of elders. Elders are called to shepherd the flock. And here at Mercy Hill, the main place where shepherding takes place, not the only, but the main place, is in home groups. And so it has seemed wise to us to say that a home group leader probably either should be a home group, I'm sorry, an elder probably should be either a home group leader or should be overseeing home groups that he's raised up because that's where the shepherding takes place. So move towards being a home group leader. Talk to your home group leader. If you're not a home group leader now, talk to me. Let's pray and think through how we could move towards having you experience shepherding and leading a group of people on mission together. So move towards being a home group leader. Okay, then... As your home group leadership shows that there's some giftings of leadership and some giftings of equipping and training up and, 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 and raising up leaders, other leaders, to, to be on mission together, as you feel then God calling you to pursue eldership, fill out a, 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 an elder application. I don't know. It doesn't sound like a very fancy word. Application for eldership, which will soon be on our website. We don't have it available right now. Jerry and I are still fine-tuning it, but it'll be on the website. Fill it out. And then what will happen is the elders are going to go over that application, and then if, if it, it, it will give you some feedback on it. And if it looks like, yes, this, this brother looks like he's, he's, he's potentially qualified to be an elder, then the next step would be to be assessed by a team of elders and wives here. Now this assessment, we've learned this from Acts 29. Acts 29 has an amazing process of assessing church planters. Right, Sean? Okay. Sean Minix, by the way, heading with his wife, heading to Austin. In fact, we're going to pray them off next week to go plant a church in Austin. Um, but I experienced this, I don't know how many years ago, and, and it, was, uh, it was a growing experience for me to have these pastors and wives assess me. And they are loving, and they were direct, and God used it to show me areas of weakness in me. And it was a, it was a really powerful experience. And... This assessment process, we think it'd be really helpful to do both freshly for elders and for home group leaders. So that'd be the next step, would be to be assessed by a team of elders and wives. And the goal of that, ask you lots of questions to help you discern if you're called to be an elder or not. Help you discern, is that what Jesus is calling you to do? There's three possible outcomes from this assessment. One is we would give you feedback that we think Jesus has another ministry niche for you besides eldership. This isn't the niche we, we think he has for you. There's another niche. Let's pray and find what that is for you. Second option would be that we think maybe, maybe you're called to be an elder, but there's a couple of conditions we'd like you to work on. Maybe beef up some doctrinal areas. Maybe, maybe grow some more in, in advancing the gospel. No, whatever it might be, just whatever comes up out of that process. So that's the second option. The third is, 
it's like we believe God's called you to be an elder. Now, let's, let's move ahead. Okay, and then, then the fourth step would be to present you, to share you with the Mercy Hill community here on a Sunday morning and say, this brother, um, you know, we've assessed, we feel like he's called, but we want feedback from you about him. Because again, a man needs to be above reproach. Not perfect, but, but above reproach. And so you'd give feedback, and then if there's no major red flags that come up in the course of that, then we would share that with you, and we would, on a Sunday morning, lay hands on him, and, and he'd become an elder. So that's the process. Now, any questions about that? Does that make sense? Thoughts? Did I, was I clear? So guys, if you're feeling stirred to be an elder, you feel like you know kind of what, what, what direction to go in? Okay. Now, last week, uh, we talked about what God calls elders to do towards the church, what the elders' responsibilities are towards the church. This morning, I want to talk about what, what God calls the church to have as responsibilities towards the elders. And to answer that, take a look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This is page 1010. Last week, it was what elders are called to do towards the church. Lead exemplary lives. Love and shepherd and protect the flock. Teach the Bible to the church. Lead and set policy for the church. Train and equip leaders. Serve, love, care for the sheep. That's what Jesus calls elders to do towards the church. Now, what does Jesus call the church to do towards the elders? This is a little awkward to teach on, okay? But here's, you'll see when when I read the verse. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And this is really sobering for for Jerry and I to wrestle with. I mentioned this last week, but, but here's the picture that I have. Jesus loves Mercy Hill Church. And Jesus has handed the care of Mercy Hill Church to Jerry and me. And he has said, this is my bride. This is my church. I've purchased her with my own blood. I've poured out my spirit upon them. I've caused them to be born again. I've birthed faith and repentance in their hearts. I've engraved their names in the palm of my hand. This is my bride. This is my church. I've purchased them at the price of my blood. Take care of them. And when I see you again on that distant shore, I'm going to ask you to give an account of how you've cared for them. So that's, that's why you need to pray so much, okay, for Jerry and me and the other elders that I trust will be putting in place. That's what our responsibility is. But then look at what he calls the church to do towards the elders. He says, obey your, elder, obey your leaders, elders, and submit to them. Okay, it feels a little awkward, like I said, to be calling you to do that. But again, I'm supposed to teach the Bible. It's what the Bible says. So that's what you're called to do. Now, what does that mean? Okay, are we going to become a cult? You know, how, how's this going to look? It means two things. It, well, it, it means unless we are calling you to believe something unbiblical, you've got to know the scriptures, search the scriptures, be good Bereans, check everything Jerry or I teach or others, check it all with the scriptures. So unless we're calling you to believe something unbiblical or to do something unbiblical, then you should follow our lead. Okay? That's what it means. Um, not because we deserve it, not because like we're all that smart or whatever, but it's because Jesus Christ deserves the unity, 
and the harmony and the love and the mission that will result from from that. That's why. Okay, so that's what Jesus calls you to do towards the elders. Now let me spell out what this does not mean. It does not mean that you never disagree with the elders. Okay? We want you, if you disagree, to disagree. Okay? Our conviction is that we're a body. And God may give you, like, a crucial insight or thought that Jerry and I or the other elders are just, like, blind to. And you may share it with us, like, oh, you're right. Thank you. Okay, so this, this does not mean that if you have a concern or an issue or a disagreement that, well, you're supposed to obey and submit, and so you just must not say anything about it. It's not what it means at all. We want you to, we want to have a culture here at Mercy Hill Church where, where we can disagree. And we can talk about that. And you're not like blacklisted or, you know, you can sit way out there, you know, if you start disagreeing, anything like that. We, we want there to be a culture. Is it possible to have a culture where there's a commitment to obey and submit and a, an understanding of the value of disagreement? Can those go together hand in hand? They have to. They have to. I'm passionate about both of them. Okay, we need your disagreements. I might regret that. I, I don't know. I just, ah, no, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't at all because of what I'm going to say next. Okay, all right. Because there's two very different ways to disagree. Right? You can disagree in a way that, that sheds light and that brings harmony and that brings unity and love or you can disagree in a way that causes division and dissension, right? Two very different ways that disagreement can happen. So think about it like this. If if you have a problem with with something the elders have done, or let's just broaden it out. If you have a problem with with anybody in the body of Christ, you've got a problem, something that they've done or not done or whatever, you've got a problem, you've got an issue. Who should you talk to about it? Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. This is page 823. So I'm talking about how to disagree in a way that sheds light and brings harmony and unity and love and help. Matthew 18, 15, page 823. This is where Jesus is teaching. And he's talking here about a time where someone has sinned against you, but the principle applies broadly, see in the rest of the scriptures. It's to any time you have a question or an issue or a disagreement with someone. So look what he says, Matthew 18, 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. Go to him. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. Not to anybody else, but to him. Talk, pray, work it out. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Okay, so if I have a problem with someone, the only person I should talk to about that problem is that someone. Right? And I should. Go, talk, pray. Go humbly. Go aware that I, I maybe have misunderstood entirely. Go aware that I'm a sinful man too, and I'm at the foot of the cross, just like we're all there at the foot of the cross together. But I should go to that person and talk to that person about it. But, but what, what is just so common in our culture today, and tragically in the church culture at large today, is that that rarely happens. 
right? What, what happens, I mean, just think about the conversations you hear at Starbucks, if you ever eavesdrop on people. I mean, unless if it's like professional work or something, I, I would guess that the majority of conversations are ragging on somebody. Do you know what so-and-so did? No. Yes. Right? It's that kind of conversation. You're all looking kind of stunned, like deer in the headlights. Is this true? And I think it's true in the church too often as well, because we're part of our culture. We're all children of our culture. We breathe the air of our culture. And that just feels so natural, because they did it. They screwed up. I'm going to tell my friends about it, right? Okay, but look at the problem that comes when we talk to other people about the problem I have with this person. Look at Proverbs 17.9. This is page 540 in the Bibles we just passed out. Proverbs 17.9. I've been working on memorizing this one because I need to work on this too. We we all do. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Now, what he means there is that if if I'm in a conversation and I know that somebody's done something, I've got an issue with somebody, disagreement with somebody, for the sake of love, I'm not going to talk to these people about it. Right? Whoever covers, I'm going to cover that offense. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Love covers a multitude of sins. But, keep reading, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Okay, so if, if, I, if I have an issue with you, disagreement with you, concern about you or whatever, if I love you, I'm not going to talk to anybody else about that. I'm going to bring it to you humbly, respectfully, prayerfully. Because if I talk to other people about it, what have I done? I've just taken a wedge Here's, here's the person I've got a problem with, and here's this group I'm talking with, and I'm telling them about this person. I've just driven a wedge, boom, between you and that other person, right? You're thinking, oh, they did that? Wedge, right? No. And that whole, that's kind of a gossip thing can get kicked in there. I've, I've driven a wedge there. I've just created division in the body. I've just harmed the love and the closeness of the body. And Jesus doesn't like it when we harm his body. This is so important. Okay, now, what should I do instead? What should we do? I would guess some of you right now, you have an issue with somebody here in the body. Just, just it happens, right? I mean, the closer you get, and we work on getting really close in home groups, so one of the downsides is the closer you get to people, the more issues you're going to have with them. Isn't that the truth? Okay. In heaven, that won't be the truth. Okay, but here, because we are all sin, we're saved sinners, but the more close you get to people, the more issues there are. So what should we do? We should go to the person and humbly share the concern so we can work it out. So that's what we want to do here at Mercy Hill Church. We want a culture where we can disagree, not in a way that brings division and dissension, but in a way that sheds light, in a way that uh, brings unity, a way that brings harmony, a way that brings brings love and togetherness. So if you've got a concern with the elders, and you know what, it's just if you don't yet, it's just a matter of time. Okay? There'll be something you think, why are you why? Let's talk, okay? Maybe it's like, oh man, I, I, I get your question. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense at all now that you're asking that question, or or maybe we'll shed some light on it or whatever. So if you have a concern with the elders or with anyone in the body, bring it directly to them. Does that make sense? Does that feel like what we don't usually do? 
I think so. I think so. Now, what should you do, another scenario, if somebody comes up to you and starts telling you about somebody they've got an issue with? What do you do in that case? Okay? What I would suggest would be that you humbly and lovingly uh, say to them, uh, you know, what would be the best thing is if you went and talked to this other person, the person you've got an issue with. Go talk to them about it. In fact, I'd be happy to go with you and help you. Okay? Let, let's do that because it, there's really nothing that can be helped here. This isn't going to shed any light. It's not going to help the problem that you've got with them. So let's, let's not talk about it here. Let's go and talk to them about it. Can we do that? Now, can you see how powerful that would be? Okay, so just a little example. Let's say at lunch today, I'm trying to think of an example. This might be kind of, anyway, but somebody says, I can't believe that Pastor Steve is spending three weeks on elders and deacons, okay? Now, what should you do? I'm not saying, well, he's right. No, no, no. The point isn't to stick up for me. Um, the point is that the person sharing that might have something really helpful for me to hear. It's like, that's a really good point. I didn't think of that. We're already two-thirds of the way through the series. Okay, we're, but I might, there might be something I could learn. And so if, it's not, if I, I don't ever hear about it, then it doesn't help me. And the other problem is that, that it's, it's divisive. It causes dissension. It, it, it breaches a relationship. It harms trust and, and love. And no light is shed. So, so what you should do is just say, you know, let's, let's, let's go talk to Pastor Steve about it. Let's do it. I mean, interesting. Let's go talk about that and, and see. And he can talk to Jerry and they can pray and, and, uh, and, and they, it can get worked out. It can, it, can, it can shed light. It can bring harmony. It can bring love. It can bring togetherness. Now, what questions does that raise in your mind? Does that, does that make sense? Or am I just like way out there? Do, do you see that this is what the Bible says? Right? Go to him alone, Jesus says. Alone. Okay, alone means alone. All right, that's exactly what it means. Private, confidential. So what, what questions are... It's a good question, and, and uh, there's, there's no one-size-fits-all answer to that, I'm sure. Um, but I would, I would just pray about it, and I would maybe go back to the, to the brother and just say, you know, it doesn't look like anything's changed. And, you know, Jesus says the next step is for me to, to bring some other people in because I love you, I care about you. And... Um, are you, are you going to do anything or, or not? I'll just ask him. Because then my next step is to, to maybe bring in your elders or something else like that. And I would just have a heart-to-heart conversation with him. I know there's a, one of the guys here in the church is an, is an engineer. And he had a, a guy who, who walked into his office and was, if I remember right, what the, I think the manager was the brunt. This guy would walk into his office and complain about the manager. And, and so what's this, how's this brother kind of help counsel that and uh i mean it doesn't apply in the sense of you know the whole church discipline thing of matthew 18 but doesn't the same principle apply i mean shouldn't we uh if people are talking to us in the workplace shouldn't we seek to you know wouldn't i mean again you want to be humble and gracious but it would be more constructive if if if, if the person could hear about it themselves and 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 just the, the talk here it's it's not helpful so i i think it applies across the board so maybe there's some exceptions, but I, I think generally speaking, it applies. Yeah, I, I mean, again, seeking counsel is a biblical principle, so I'm sure there's times where seeking counsel would be appropriate. And, and, the, and the way to do it would be to make sure, I would, I would keep the details to a minimum. I would keep the person as confidential as possible for, their, for the counsel to be helpful. And I would check my heart that my, my, my heart is to 
is to, is to um, honor this person I'm speaking about as much as possible. See, that, that's the difference. And, I mean, in all of our conversations, we, we should love our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And so our default mode should be to, to want them to be lifted up with the people I'm talking to and honored and encouraged, right? Not, not have them be, be criticized. So that, that should be, because we love. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so... Good, good point. So, you know, take somebody else with you. Take a, you know, an elder with you or just somebody. So, yes. So, good, good caution. Let me just ask this. I mean, maybe you aren't going to want to answer, but how many of you would say you find it easy to speak negatively of other people when they're not in, in, in a group? How many find that easy? Okay. Okay, a few of you. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, I'm not going to do the charge to men. I just want to, want to give you some, some Jesus-centered uh, encouragement about how to, how to deal with this. Uh, I think that the reason why, when, when I look at my own heart, and I'm in a group of people, and I want to say something critical or negative about somebody who's not there, um, as I look at my own heart, the reason is because I'm, I'm seeking the pleasure that comes either from lifting myself up because they're wrong, I'm, I'm right. Or I'm seeking the pleasure that comes from nursing a grudge. Because if you're, if you're angry at somebody, it feels good to speak harmfully about them to others. Right? It, f- it feels good. Doesn't it? There's a dark pleasure there. So either I want to lift myself up, make myself look better, feel better about myself. Or because I'm, I'm nursing a grudge, I'm harboring anger. And that, it just feels good to tell them. Do you know what they did? Let me tell you what they did. Feels good when you're nursing a grudge, right? Can anybody relate to this? Okay. So how do you deal with that? I mean, you you just like I'm just not going to say anything. You know, I mean, how do we how do we follow Jesus when we hear something that He wants me to do and it's like I I want to tell people right now this would be awesome. What do you do? Okay, here's here's what I found helpful. I just want to call you all to do it because we don't just grit our teeth and try to obey Jesus. We don't say, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to do that. Okay, I'm going to work on it. Our hearts need to be changed. My heart needs to be changed. And the problem is, I need to turn from seeking my pleasure in being better than other people. I need to turn from seeking my pleasure in nursing a grudge. I need to turn from those false pleasures, those idolatrous pleasures, and come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I've been seeking those things for my pleasure. You are my heart satisfaction. Knowing you, beholding you will satisfy me infinitely more than me people think I'm better than other people. And knowing you and trusting you will satisfy me infinitely more than nursing a grudge. I'm sorry, I'm back. Fill me, satisfy me. And when that happens... When Jesus Christ fills and satisfies your soul, when you're feeling the joy unspeakable and full of glory that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1, it's psychologically impossible to speak harmfully about a brother or a sister. It's impossible. Because you love Jesus, you love his glory. Now, you... It's possible to speak harmfully, right? There, there's times where you need to speak, okay? But, but it's, it's out of love, out of humility... But you know the difference, right? It's, it's, it's impossible to rag on someone, to slander someone, to gossip someone if your heart is full of Jesus. It's just psychologically impossible because you love him 
And because you love the body and you want him to be honored and you want this brother to do well, the sister to do well, you want the brothers and sisters you're talking with to love this brother or sister, you want to build unity, you want the unity of the body to show the world how glorious Jesus is, you won't be able to do it if your heart is truly, experientially satisfied in knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. See, this is good news though because see, it's not a matter of you gritting your teeth to do this. It's a matter of bending the knee again before Jesus, saying, forgive me, help me. I've been seeking my joy in nursing a grudge. Change me, satisfy me in yourself, and I will turn from that. And he will. Okay? All right, so I want to call us to do. So let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. So this applies to elders, but this applies across the board. I mean, listen, church, we're called to be a, a countercultural community here in the South Valley area. And Jesus says that our love and our unity together will be so remarkable that somebody who's not following Jesus who walks in and just watches the vibe here or somebody who visits your home group and just checks out the atmosphere there will just be like stunned. And one of the most stunning ways they'll be stunned is if we're a body of people where our longing is to speak well of everyone in the body of Christ and we go directly to people with humility and brokenness and gentleness and knowing I'm tempted as well to say, help, help me understand this. Why did you do this? I, I, I must have misunderstood. Help me with this. And we deal with it there. Do you see that this is a radical thing? Church, if we could live this way, it would be stunning to lost people. It's a foreign language to lost people to stop talking ill of other people. Stopping gossip, stopping slander. Are you kidding me? What would I talk about? Loving others, Jesus, getting your heart filled with him. Okay, so I, I want to call us to pray over this. Lord, would you move upon us right now, I pray. We all need help in this. Lord, I ask that by your spirit right now, those here who, who have something that they need to go to someone privately and talk about, would you stir that in them? Would you comfort that in the fact that you will help them? Would you free them from fear of what might happen in the conversation. And Lord, I just pray that there'd be lots of good conversations taking place and light shed and love given and received and tears and prayer and hearts knit together in love even more. Lord, I pray that you would do this. And Father, I pray we don't want, we don't want to harm your body. We don't want people to think ill of others. We want there to be love and, and unity. I mean, you know, reality, but we want, we want to err and default towards love and unity and, and harmony. So Lord, would you pour this out upon us, I pray. And just on the whole elders thing, Lord, I pray that we could be a church. Thank you for how much you've already been doing this. <laughs> I love this flock, Lord. You've, you've been doing this, but I pray that even more we could be, we could learn how to have there be obeying and submitting to elders and disagreeing in, in, in helpful ways. Lord, teach us how to do both of those according to your word, I pray. So thank you for your word. Thank you for this flock. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that you can bring about these changes in our hearts as you satisfy us in yourself. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.